0: Welcome to the Expandable Mind Podcast. I'm your host, Vayen Naka, and I speak to creators, entrepreneurs, and experts in their fields about concepts and their journeys that not only intrigue me, but also add a sense of purpose and value to everyday life. In this episode of the podcast, I speak to Tyler Shores, where we speak about his journey and his expertise in social media and digital distractions. If you don't already know Tyler Shores, well then here is a little bit of an overview. Tyler Shores is currently a researcher, lecturer and program manager at the University of Cambridge. He manages the Think Lab, where research expertise from Cambridge students and research partners work together with other organisations to tackle big picture problems such as climate change, diversity and the future of AI. Tyler's research is focused on social media and digital habits, where he asks questions like what gets people to click on this and why it motivates people to be on their devices. He received his master's in English from Oxford University and is currently completing his PhD at Cambridge University. Tyler is also currently working on a book on digital distractions that is hopefully to be completed by 2022.
1: Yeah, nice to chat with you. I'm glad to be the um, first guest on the podcast, so hopefully we won't scare too many people off from future episodes.
0: No, thank you so much. And I'm really excited to be uh, talking to you today. Um... Can you tell us what what does the Think Lab program do? Uh, What do you do as a manager? What does a typical day look like for you?
1: There are no typical days, um, but that's a good thing, actually. So the Think Lab is essentially um, a startup. Think of it as like a little startup company within the university. Um, We grew as a uh, program that was originally meant to give um, kind of work in real life experience to doctoral students and research associates at the university. And we've been growing a lot um, basically since the pandemic and have gone from uh, kind of very student centric um, university uh, internal sort of training to kind of a wider program. So now we tackle, we look for opportunities. And like you mentioned in the bio, we look at the big picture problems, things like sustainability, climate change, um, diversity. We're working with um, some folks you um, can't talk about quite yet, but it will be on, you know, kind of global issues such as women's rights and empowerment. Um, so that's what we try to do. Essentially, the Think Lab is a way to get harness brain power across the university from all kinds of expertise and see if we can make some real world impact through research and connecting some dots. That's
0: great. Um, and how did you get to where you are today? Someone pursuing their PhD at Cambridge University. Did you always have that mindset on pr- pursuing a PhD? Uh, or was it like as you went on uh, in your st- academic studies?
1: Yeah, let's see. How far back um, do you want this answer to go? But um, the answer is no. Um, uh well, let me let me share a little bit too for some of your uh, people who might be listening. I, when I was your age, um, which is kind of was was kind of a long time ago now, um, I never thought about applying to Cambridge or Oxford. Um, originally, I'm from Hawaii, which was uh, you know, was, um, a little island um, uh, area in the U.S., and then grew up mostly in Southern California. England felt very far away. Um, I'm old enough to say that there was. No social media, uh, very little Internet, um, you know, Internet existed, of course, no Wikipedia. So we essentially relied upon encyclopedias and um, periodicals that we could see in terms of like, oh, this is a nice school. This is a nice school. Um, I also had good grades when I was a teen, Um, studied very hard, really loved books, still love books. but you know, Oxford and Cambridge wasn't for someone like me for my background. My parents weren't well off. Um, no one had ever been to England. Even my school, my high school, um, was familiar with some schools, but there, you know, um, no one in our school had gone to Oxford or Cambridge. So I had no one to turn to or ask. So I was like, "Well, maybe this isn't a place for me." Um, I ended up doing college in uh, the University of California, Berkeley, which I really loved. I got a chance to teach. Um, I did find out that I really liked teaching. I studied English and rhetoric um, during that time, which really kind of um, college felt more than college to me. It was kind of that intellectual studying, uh, researching part of things was pretty exciting. But I took long gaps. I have not been a lifelong student. Um, after undergrad, I was a school teacher. So I taught um, younger younger kids, uh, fourth and fifth graders. I don't know what that translates to in the UK, but um, writing and reading compositions and social studies, i worked at Google. Um, This was long enough ago that they would call you on the phone when they wanted an interview. Uh, They don't do that anymore, Um, but I was uh, not a tech person. I studied English, literature, and literary theory and philosophy and these things. Um, But I thought it would be fun to work at Google, and I did. Uh, We helped to run a program called Authors at Google which is still online, it's called Talks at Google now, but it was a free library of talks for anyone to access on YouTube. And um, about that time was when Google started scanning library books, uh, what became Google Books. And I was interested enough in this that I wanted to study it more, so I did apply. Um, Don't do what I did, kids, but I applied to one program and said, if it's fate then i'll i'll, I'll go for more school and do a master's degree if i don't get in then that's okay too i got in so i did go to oxford um i like cambridge better in case people want to ask me about that um oxford is a great experience um i'm glad i did it and i thought i was done with school then so i did work in various fields tech startup education i was at stanford um and then i realized i was doing a lot of the things that academics already do going to conferences writing papers, all of these things, and not getting any credit for it. So I was like, well, I could actually do a PhD. Do I want to go back to do a PhD at my age? I'll be a little on the older end, Uh, but I did go for it. Um, Cambridge felt like the right place to be. I love being at Cambridge, Um, very collaborative, meet a lot of interesting people, so... Um, That's a very long version of your uh, uh, long way to answer your question that I wasn't sure if you'd asked me 20 years ago or even 10 years ago, should I go for a PhD? I didn't know. Um, That's unusual, I think, for people to do. But I'm glad I had the real world experience working at Google and Stanford and nonprofit education and all of these things. Um, I wouldn't be where I am right now without those other experiences.
0: Okay, and and this is this for somebody like myself. Yeah, I, I always look at people that with they they have that PhD next to them or doctor next to them, and and it's always great. It's like yes, I, I want to be like that someday. Um, and 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 think think of that. And what what parts would you recommend? Do You recommend like um taking real world experience like yourself, or going going straight and you do your undergrad and you get either BSc or BA or anything like that. And you go straight forward into master's and PhD. What, what did your recommended path be?
1: I think everyone should take some time off in between school. Um, maybe not as much time as I did necessarily, but um, if I can give one piece of advice, it's um, only do more school, master's, PhD, med, um, if you really want to do it. And you have to be pretty honest with yourself. Uh, oh, uh, it's hard to get a job, so I'll do more school. I see everyone else going for it, so maybe I should too. Um, those are really not the reasons you want to do it. Um, I've seen that for the better part of 10, 15 years. The people who have been unhappiest, who maybe still achieved master's, PhD, whatever, were unhappy because they didn't quite, um, they didn't quite know what they wanted. They knew, They knew what they didn't want, which isn't the same thing as knowing what you want. Um, PhD may not be a for everyone. It's cool to have the title. Um, if you'd asked me several years ago, I would have said, "Oh, being a professor uh, would be like a dream job." Um, it's hard. It's hard to be. Academic life is really hard. Um, depending on what field you go into, it does not pay as well as um, you would think um, compared to I don't know, working at Facebook. Don't work at Facebook um, or these sort of uh, careers and stuff. So you have to really like what you do. I love teaching. I love talking to students. I love doing research, the stuff about um, digital reading, books, social media habits. I find this really interesting. I would be doing this anyways if I weren't at a university wanting to know about this. I feel like that's a really good reason. But um, doing it just for the sake of saying you've done it, um, I would I would really think it is hard. No matter what age we are, it's hard to kind of really think and have a clear sense of what are your um What are your actual goals? What do you really enjoy doing? If it's a means to an end, keep in mind there are other ways to get to where you want to get to. And academia is really hard. It's stressful and it's lonely sometimes. Um, A lot of uncertainty. So you have to be able to um, embrace that sort of lifestyle. Even when you, uh, a lot of people I know who've gone Oxford, Cambridge, Harvard, MIT, all of these places, you feel like once you're in this place, You've made it, right? But it's actually just one part of the journey. You haven't made it to the top. You've just made it on a way to something else. So that's hard for people to realize, too, that it's a a marathon. It's not um, a sprint to get into any of these schools. But that being said, there are a lot of good reasons. There are a lot of good motivations to do these things. And it kind of depends on what you want to do. Um, And it's okay to not know. Um, uh, it's okay to try different careers and different things and decide, um, I thought I liked this, but it's actually okay. So that's my advice.
0: And, and speaking about that, and you spoke like, uh, spoke a little bit of a passion it brings me about the question, like, where, where did you start the research about, um, digital distractions and habits? Uh, where, where did that, um, passion come from? Where, where, where did you, where did it stem from? Um, How did you know it was your passion?
1: I can actually tell you pretty specifically when it started. Um, And this is when I was at working at Google still. Um, It was when the first iPhone came out. So now we're talking about 2007, 2008. Um, The original iPhone was marketed as just an iPod. Uh, No one even knows what an iPod is anymore. An iPod that can do phone calls, no app store, none of this stuff. Um, the one thing that was different was the norms around email and being able to be available all the time changed very quickly. Hey, did you get the email that I sent you five minutes ago? Um, Why haven't you replied yet? And all of these things, I noticed that very quickly. I noticed that myself, too, that we were all kind of getting used to these sort of things at the same time. Um, yeah, it started to stress me out after a while um, to kind of, you know, notice those like, oh, I feel like I'm constantly on my phone. Uh, when did this happen? There's an article, if anyone wants to check it out, um, from The Atlantic, which is an American publication uh, called Is Google Making Us Stupid? Um, so it's 2007. Nicholas Carr is the author. He would go on to write a book, which I think is really interesting, called The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. Um, but he basically talks about that. He talks about not being able to. Um, enjoy reading as much that carried a resonance with me i was spending so much time online i didn't have time to read books for fun and all of these things Um, that's when i started getting interested in this topic Um, a lot's changed in the past uh, decade 12 15 years almost 15 years now but i'm still very interested in this Um, i just like talking to other people talking to people who have their everyday experiences with digital stuff because i'm fascinated i'm fascinated like what is it like for them? Um, I'll often, whenever it comes up in conversation, ask, be like, "So, what's the first thing that you do in the morning? Um, do you check your phone? What what things do you check first thing in the morning? What do you do late at night? Do you check Instagram or something? Do you stay on Instagram longer than you should with the scrolling and all of these things?" Um, so, I'm curious, and I talk to experts from all over the world, some very cool people, about what they notice in terms of trends, um, both in their personal life, what we do. And it's applicable to all of us. All of us are um, connected and have our digital habits to these sort of things. So um, we don't know. It almost feels like this big experiment right now that we're all going through. No one has a definitive answer about um, even if there is a right way or a wrong way to go about how how much time we spend online, why we spend online, why we click on the things that we do. So... topic is fascinating to me.
0: When you spoke about Google and so forth, that experience there, um, like in terms of networking and uh, networking with people and that, um, did that broaden your mind? What is the experience like working at Google? Like the people who you met, did they encourage you? Did they like, um, did that motivate you? Um, Especially in terms of like, uh, the people uh, the experience and so forth did that motivate you into like looking into a subject like this here especially you spoke about the first iPhone and that that's something that's really <laughs> um, if I could get my hands on the first iPhone I probably would like want to see it and it, did you actually have the first iPhone did you go buy it and did that experience like stem from there like
1: what what is it all about Well, yeah, these are interesting questions. Um, let me start with the first one about um, Google was a great place to work for um, at the time when uh, they approached me. Um, they were the number one company in the world. Um, all of, You have to remember, this was a long time ago. So all of the things, the workplace things that is kind of common knowledge now about, Um, Oh, my gosh, they've got a ball pit and a dinosaur and free food and doctors and free haircuts. And you can bring your dog to meetings and all of these things. That was relatively experimental. Um, I thought it was very cool. So that was part of the reason. Um, A better reason is that I'm still friends with a lot of the people that I worked with there after over a decade. Um, Everyone was really interesting and motivated and came from very different backgrounds. Um, You don't have to be a tech tech person. Um, if I can give a tip to other people, remember, I studied English and philosophy and rhetoric and these sort of things. Um, during the interview, I was very um, honest in terms of like, well, I'm not a computer science person, um, but I can learn. Um, if you hire for ability rather than just experience, um, I'm that kind of person. So that's what ultimately got me um, you know, there. And I'm glad I did it. Um, different, cha- different, different lifestyle, um, much faster. Faster than anywhere else I've ever been. Change happens quickly, a lot of information to digest, a lot of things to keep in your mind at the same time. Um, So not for everyone, but if you're adaptable and if you're interested in these sort of things and if you enjoy your work, it's a great place to get experience. Um, Yeah, I learned a lot from different people just... um, Yeah, it opened up a whole new world for me in terms of stuff that I wouldn't be considered a tech person um, or a techie minded kind of person now if I hadn't worked there and just kind of got a better understanding about what makes us click. What are our Internet habits and all of these things? Um, I don't think I did have the first first iPhone. I think I was a bit of a slow adopter. Um, you say you want to get your hands on one, but you wouldn't use it very much. It's slow. Uh, it's kind of bulky. No app store. So you can check your email and then browse the Internet very slowly. But um, I was not and this was in the news and it's still um, people were waiting in line. You think it was like the the world's biggest concert. Uh, I was like, no, I'm, I'm not going to camp outside in the cold for three days to get an iphone um i was interested and i played with other people's iphones but it took me at least a little while um it was a gradual thing it wasn't overnight overnight but um it's silicon valley so change happens very quickly in the course of a week you can be like hey you heard this app everyone's using this app everyone's using this thing um yeah that's the pace of life um I forgot what the other parts of your question were, but I'm glad I did it. Uh, Google was, I thought, a very interesting, still a very interesting place to work. And it's huge. The stuff that they do now is um, it's much more than a search engine. Let's put it that way in terms of the stuff they do. um, Research on self-driving cars, on um, kind of more experimental things. If you look at Google X, um, the Google X labs, you can kind of get a sense of some of the um, more far out research they do with um, Mars lunar rovers and internet weather balloons, all of these things to kind of just sense, um, you know, they're experimenting and seeing like what might be the next future thing. And I think that's kind of cool.
0: Coming back to your question about uh, getting on my hands on the first iPhone is uh, for me, it would be more like a collector's thing. Uh, like put it in like a, a little bit of like a, um, should I say a frame? If, that, if there's a frame for um, putting it in and I'll like frame it up there, not necessarily use, but something like that, like the first iPhone, like, wow, I have it. It's something that I have. Because with technology advancing like every single year, you can find an iPhone. Uh, we have the iPhone 13, and it's advancing. Having something like uh, the first or something, it's always like the greatest thing. Um, and uh, and today in today's world, like everybody's like, we need to create a sustainable world. And something that you can also comment on um, is that these tech companies are you. Um, they they're manufacturing but at the same time they actually like apple for example they're trying to lower their carbon emissions and so forth and they are making progress and that's by taking back the phones that you they take it back they buy it back from you and they give you a better price on your new phone and so forth which is great um but at the same time it's like uh in in like 20 years from now when there's an iphone like maybe 25 or something like that you never know um you, you look back and you're like, I had the iPhone 12, but I don't have it anymore. And whereas, like, if you had the original iPhone, it's like, oh, I have it. I have the first. Steve Jobs was the one that introduced this. It's like that, just like that thinking um, of, yes, you still vintage. And people call me a little bit of an old soul, but, uh, and that's, that's just the way I think, like, Having the original or something, it's way better Like having a phone that's a little bit smaller than anything else is a little bit better than having a phone that's huge and can't fit in your pocket. Uh, that's just the way I think. And yeah, it, yeah. in terms of that, it, that's just like my way of thinking. I don't know. What, what's your thoughts on that?
1: It is a collector's item. I'd be very curious for um, one of us to go on eBay after this and see if, Like, I'm not sure if it'd actually be super cheap. Type in iPhone 2007, see what you get, or maybe they're really expensive now um, because there's so few of them available. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, so, someone should should look into that and see some like results on that. Um, and then it's a question of how far back do you want to go? It was like, why stop at iPhone? You could go back to the old um, uh, BlackBerry phones, which were kind of the the original smartphone-ish. They had a physical keyboard. BlackBerry is now um, going out of business forever. Um, That was in the news recently this year, but um, that was a very email and texting-driven device. I remember people who were addicted to BlackBerry uh, uh, in terms of like they would always have it um, doing this and all of that. I was like, oh, so slow and you had to kind of do these things. We've come a long way since then, but the amount of hours they must have spent with the BlackBerry Um, which almost looks like a kid's toy to us now uh, compared to what devices look like. But um, it's interesting in the um, the tech, the the computer history museum in Mountain View, California, which is very close to the Google headquarters. They do have a display of old devices and everything. So you can see the big um, block phones, which you had to hold like this, and they were uh, charged in a car things. um, It's funny. It's funny to see. um, They've got one of the big supercomputers from the 50s that was literally a whole um, giant room of computers. And then they compare it to a MacBook Air now in terms like, so this MacBook Air is 10,000 times faster, more powerful than this giant computer was from the 50s. Um, It's interesting to see that. Um, Yeah, who knows? Who knows what the future of technology is Uh, will take the shape of Um, and you got to remember it's not always linear progress i distinctly remember when google glass was going to be the next big thing so these were the smart glasses that you would wear uh, very star trek looking but you'd be able to basically have internet and screens right in front of your face Um, never took off Uh, it might something some iteration of it might come a they were kind of ugly people didn't like that and then b it just wasn't the thing that people wanted to have screens right in front of their face um tempting it's very robocop very future sci-fi looking to have like your own um interface and these sort of things and be uh, oh i'm talking to this person let me look him up while we're talking and these sort of things but uh never caught on um that was supposed to be one of the next big trends um so it's kind of funny we forget about the things that fizzle out um and you never hear from them again Um, There's a whole alternate history of failed technology sort of things. Look at Amazon. Amazon is um, a giant in so many industries right now. Um, Does anyone even remember Amazon tried their own phones, Kindle phones, which everyone was talking about for about three months. Um, Turns out they were terrible and cheap and nobody wanted them. Um, Amazon could have been a serious... we could all be using Kindle phones in a different environment if Amazon had um, gone in a different direction with that. So you never know. I think it's kind of interesting. It's fun to keep in touch with tech and kind of think about some of these things. Yeah, I,
0: I as one, I, I as a person, I am very passionate about tech and tech. And from hearing you speak, you're also very passionate about tech. Um, and that that stems into my question: like, how do you? How do people? Uh, teenagers and people out there like just like myself are th- still discovering what they are passionate about and so forth we often influenced by what our parents say or um, what what our grandparents say like you I'll often hear this I want to become a doctor because it'll make my parents happy and I'm gonna get lots of money um, it, it, does, it how can actually uh, how uh, do you have any advice for people out there like on how to find their passion? So you spoke about being in different areas, different sectors of uh, the industry, and so forth. So somebody like me as a teenager, how can we get exposure out there into um, into finding? Okay, I'm really passionate about studying this. I I want to go from, go like pursue a PhD, for example, that would be uh, the ideal option, like instead of like just making somebody else happy, happy, I want to actually focus on myself, because 30 years from now, that person, uh, God forbid, they not may not be alive. But are you actually happy in the in the space that you are in 30 years from now?
1: I mean, that's a very good question. And it's a very hard question. Um, At your age, don't even think about a PhD, Uh, get through college first, get through university, and then see if you still like it. Um, it's a it's a funnel. The people who think um, they want to do more school. The older you get, the narrower the funnel is. So don't worry about PhD yet. Don't worry about academia uh, yet. Um, yes, do follow your passions. Um, I was lucky in that my parents uh, were very supportive, and I think they would have been really happy if I was a doctor. Um, I I liked biology. I liked a number of science subjects too, but reading and writing were my passion. No question. Still. Um, so I was able to pursue that um, in college. There's a lot of uh, kind of peer to peer pressure in terms of uh, it's like, oh, so what are you going to do with an English um, degree or what are you going to do with a humanities degree? And the real answer is whatever you want. Um, I feel like a lot of young people, because they have kind of uh, patchwork ways that they get this information, kind of, you know, see what other people um, see. But everyone's only got a small piece of the puzzle. Um, it's kind of up to you to really figure out what do you want to do with your degree. Um, a lot more than you think. Uh, that's the main thing that's been. I've seen people from who study art history, who study all kinds of like niche, very specialized topics, then go on to very interesting careers. Um, what you study doesn't define who you are. So you're a lot more than just whatever your diploma says on all of these things. Um, Generally speaking, following the things that you're interested in and the stuff that you'd be doing, even if you weren't getting paid to do it or had to do it, is a good sign. For me, that was teaching. For me, that was learning about tech and habits and the human side of what we do with technology. Um, That's what I listened to. um, And I tried out different things. It's okay to try something and be like, well, I thought I would like this, but it turns out it's not for me. Some people get into sunken cost fallacy, which is the idea that I put so much time into this, Um, you know, so much effort that I better kind of see this out. That's where people get stuck. That's where people get stuck in school or in jobs in terms of like, I worked really hard to get to this job. Maybe if I stay for a little while longer, I'll get a little bit more pay and then I'll be happy. But um, it doesn't always work like that. So trying out different things and Being okay with taking some risks is really important advice, Um, especially at your age. Um, I didn't know. I had all these different areas that I thought I could go in um, and no real guidance, but I did similar to what you're doing. I talked to a lot of people who are very nice to talk to a young person like me who, you know, it's like, well, I don't really know one way or another, but... Um, talking to people who were lawyers, and I was like, well, I'm, I'm good at language, I'm good at speaking and arguing and all of these things. I could be a lawyer, um, and I could have been. Uh, it turns out I didn't want to. And it turns out the people I talked to who were lawyers hated it um, in terms of like very grind, uh, you know, uh, grind culture, not much um, work-life balance. Um, what's the point of having a lot of money and a big salary if you don't have enough free time to enjoy it? Um these are kind of important things to think about that you really want to do your research and just talk to people and learn from people who are just a little ahead of you on the journey. Um, I do that still. I talk to people who are um, maybe 10 years down the road for me, five or 10 years, and ask them, I was like, oh, what's that like? Do you like doing this? Do you like being a senior lecturer, associate professor, or these sort of things? What's the good and the bad? Um, you have to get to know these people a little bit, too, and find the people that you think you trust. Um Some people will say no, some people won't have time to talk to you, but um, it's good to just talk to a variety of people and talk to people different than you, not people who are just similar and think similar things to you, but make an effort to find people that are 180 degrees different than your approach to things, and um, you'll learn a lot that way too.
0: Okay. Uh, And and that actually brings me on to to start talking about um, when we speak about your research, which is digital habits and distractions, does your research only focus in social media or are there other digital mediums that you you look into uh, besides social media?
1: Um, Social media has been the most relevant right now. Um, But I mean, I guess it depends on... Uh, what you mean, like I look at, for example, the difference between how people read on say a Kindle compared to like an iPad, compared to reading on a phone and these sort of things. Um, I'm mostly interested in the communications part, but that does branch out into other things. So an example would be if you're reading something on an iPad or an Apple device, and it's very easy now to have a built-in Wikipedia link, um, highlight something and say like, I wanna look at this. What is that? Does that count as a distraction in itself? Because it's like, well, I don't know what this is. Let me look this up. It's very similar to a footnote in a book. So it's a different kind of distraction that comes internally from the reader. That's a little bit different than say, like getting a notification from news or from a text message or WhatsApp thing that comes from someone else that might need a response. So um, it's actually a complicated topic to um, sort of disentangle a little bit that's just one example but is looking up something on Wikipedia or looking up a dictionary word is that a distraction is that an interruption from reading and doing this sort of things sometimes um, in our everyday work lives it might be something similar that we're writing an email or we're working on a meeting or something like that and all of a sudden we have to stop um, jump onto a bunch of different websites um, get questions. Um, from Reddit or wherever to find out what kind of apps. Are those distractions or is that considered work too? And I think it's a little bit of a gray area right now. And that's quite
0: interesting. And what is your viewpoint on social media?
1: Um, so there's an article, you might be able to find a link for this, um, in the, on the Cambridge homepage. Um, it's called, Is Social Media Changing Our Lives? So it's got some quotes from me and uh, two other researchers that we talked to for the Cambridge Festival, Um, That may be a good one to look at, but, um, and the short answer is I'm not anti-social media. I'm not anti-anything. I just want us to think about our relationship to these things. That goes for me too. Um, Knowledgeable people um, who study this stuff for a living, we still have a lot of the same habits. It's just that we have more information to Rely upon to understand in terms of like, oh, what's going to make us click on this? Is it going to make me feel better or worse to be on Twitter or Instagram for twenty or thirty minutes when I could be taking a walk or something else? Um, it's an issue that we all kind of live with. So, um, yeah, I would. I wrote on my blog. Um, um, I'll send you a link. Maybe you saw this. The uh, if if I um, I did an experiment to see how how little I could spend on my phone for an entire week. Um, there wasn't really a point to that other than I was curious and there wasn't a lot going on first week of January. But it turns out I didn't miss much. I had more time for reading, which made me happier. Um, I liked walking around more. Um, I think everyone should do an experiment like that, even if not a week. Try for a day or two or three days. But see, um, we all kind of need that perspective to see, huh, what's driving our habits? What's making us do this and why? Um, I think that's very valuable information, no matter what age we are your age, your parents' age, my age, my parents' age, to be able to do this and think like, what are our habits? Um, Habits happen very gradually. So every time we install a new app or every time we enable notifications and these sort of things, um, we are changing our habits just a little bit. So being able to do something like that self-experiment I did is a chance to kind of look back and say, um, wow, I spent a lot of time on these um, social media applications. Do I need to spend a lot of time? On that. In some cases, the answer is yes. COVID pandemic and all of these things, social media is our lifeline to other people and communicating with them. Sometimes the answer is no, though. If It's sort of like mindless scrolling on um, you know, the Instagrams or the Twitter or TikTok and all of this. And I was like, yeah, oh, this is actually makes me feel better. Is this making me feel worse? Um, it's kind of, you know, I don't have an answer for anyone, but I feel like I encourage people to kind of go and look and try it out for themselves and see 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 if anything surprises them
0: how how do you think so when you did that um experiment uh which i i, I read the blog your blog um and yeah i think you average 15 minutes uh, a day which is very impressive um uh i, I got like a today every every sunday we receive like on the on apple you receive like your uh, your week and i averaged this week around about two and a half hours so I'm trying to get it down. Last show is like averaging around about four and a half hours, which is very long on the phone. And I've met people that actually, they can be eight hours, like they're averaging on a, on a daily basis, eight hours a day. I was like, jam. Yeah, okay, that's bad. But then I, when I read your blog post, I was like, uh, 15 minutes a day, maybe that should be my goal for 2022. Maybe I can get it down. And uh, and then, uh, obviously, in long term, I don't think I'll be able to sustain uh, fifteen minutes a day. And you also res- responded via Twitter that you you're not going to res- sustain it for a very long time. Um, and I don't think it's possible, especially when when you consider that the world is all all on digital, me um, all on social media. And that brings me on to, like, how do you engage with social media? Do you uh, do you have separate times in your day that you plan yourself out or uh, wh- what, what do you just like spontaneously say, okay, I'm going to check my th- Twitter.
1: Well, let me start with the, uh, the time experiment one that, um, uh, I did it for a week. It wasn't to prove a point or to do anything other than to kind of challenge myself, um, the week after I was up. Um, again, much more where I wasn't consciously making those choices. It wasn't as much as I thought, though. So there was a little bit of carryover effect from the habits that I talked about. Um, I think I ended up averaging just under 40 minutes a day, which is still pretty low for me. Um, But I noticed some of the things that um, and then maybe you can share my blog post so that people kind of um, know what we're talking about a little bit. But my default was not have my phone anywhere nearby. I don't even keep my phone within hand's reach anymore. Um, A, I don't need to. Uh, B, it was sort of, these are the kind of things that changed a little bit. Um, I call it interstitial moments in time. So those are the in-between times um, in terms of what are you going to do right after we finish chatting right now? Are you going to check your phone? I'm probably going to pick up my Kindle or have a coffee or something. There's nothing I'm expecting um, to get on social media. So that's a little bit more of like, Oh, it's Sunday morning. It's early. I've got other stuff I want to do. I will check it maybe around lunchtime today. Um, those sort of things. So sometimes I formally or informally carve out blocks of time, uh, that I use for checking social media, but I'm not on as much as most people think I schedule things ahead of time. Um, I'll check if I feel like there need to be responses or questions to things. Um, yeah, the biggest biggest bad habit for me was checking something and then checking it again and again and again and again to see if there's any um, other interesting things. I didn't need to be doing that, and that was kind of making me crazy a little bit. Um, those were some of the bigger ones, but just sort of like those transition periods in between, um, while I'm waiting for you know uh, I'm cooking lunch or doing something else, it's like, well, maybe I want to listen to an audiobook or. Um, Really thinking in terms of uh, that extra second of why do I need to check my phone right now? Oh, I don't need to check my phone. I'm bored, or I don't know what else to do. So I built in things around that in terms of like, oh, well, I can pick up my Kindle, I can restart my audio book that I've been listening to. Um, that was probably the biggest change. Um, eight hours, like you mentioned, is is a lot, a lot. I've heard that too. Um, most people's batteries don't even get through eight hours in a day, so you kind of have to. Um, you know, be tethered to a wall or have a battery pack or something, um, it depends on use case. If, you're, if social media is part of your job or if you text a lot of people for regular um, reasons, uh, that time does add up. But does it come at the expense, economists call this opportunity cost, does this come at the expense of other things that you could be doing that maybe are a little better, being able to meet with someone face-to-face, being able to kind of, you know, learn, study, work on personal projects and anything creative that might help you grow a little bit. Um, you know, that is another question to keep in mind, 15 minutes on the phone is not a lot. Um, if I were to regularly do that, then I really don't need an expensive iPhone to do that. Um, I would have got, would have got one of those crappy Amazon Kindle phones or something that costs probably 20 or 30 pounds right now to be like, that would be enough. But I like having a nice phone, nice camera and all of these things. So there is something to be said about that. Why spend $1,000 on a phone if you're never going to use it? So there's sort of, that is a rationale for a lot of people too. But what I'm suggesting is there's there's probably a middle ground between zero to 15 minutes and eight hours. And then it's up to everyone's individual preference to figure out what that is.
0: Okay. And no, that's brilliant. And you spoke about scheduling your time. Like uh, how does, when do you schedule your time? Do you schedule it? Uh, In a week in advance, uh, when
1: you're going to check your Twitter and so
0: forth, uh, how do you schedule it?
1: Here's a blog post that I did for one of my favorite apps. It's called the Freedom app. I'm going to put this in our chat right now. Um, So the Freedom app, it works similar to iOS um, focus time and screen time, but it syncs across all your devices. You can schedule blocks ahead of time, put limits on the amount of app time you use, Um, I use this regularly during the week, especially when I have writing, which requires a lot of focus and I don't like to be distracted when I'm writing or getting ready for teaching. Um, So I will do that. And funnily enough, it is it sets a block ahead of time that um, I might be in the middle of typing something. And then without my even realizing it, start to check Twitter or LinkedIn for some reason. um, And it'll say, like, remember, you set a block for this. And I was like, oh, that's right. Um, So those are my tips in there to kind of say, like, I do set prearranged blocks of time, knowing when I'm most likely to be distractible and saying, you know, giving myself that extra behavioral nudge to say like, no, I really should be working. I really should be, even if it's just small amounts of time, I just want to write. I just want to study this thing for 15 or 30 minutes. That's when I'll kind of schedule those times um, during my schedule, but that works for me. So I kind of shared in that blog post, I just really like the app. Um, it works really well for me, and it sets limits. You can kind of control the things, and it has a locked mode, so you can't cheat. Uh, I encourage the locked mode, too, um, in terms of it's like, nope, can't do it unless you uninstall the app and go through all of that thing. And that extra hurdle of inconvenience makes it a little bit easier to just be like, all right, fine. I don't need to check. I don't need to look this thing up until uh, I finish this task. Um that works for me. And I use it constantly um, for these sort of things, knowing all that I know about habits and productivity and all of these things. I still use it as a way to kind of like it sets up your digital environment in a way that can help you focus, but you're setting it up yourself. So you still have a sense of control.
0: No, I I think that definitely I I need to install that app and try it. Uh, And I think uh, by speaking about it, I'm, I'm all about productivity and so forth, like going to the deep, deep focus work session and so forth. So 90 minutes, let's go straight deep work. And I think there's, you've just um, given me a solution to a, a, a problem. I'm one person that can fall susceptible. All of a sudden there's a tweet, like somebody retweet. Okay, then I'm falling into uh, Twitter and these infinity loops that just go about like, um, and yeah, that that, and I think thank you so much for sharing that. I'll leave it in the show notes for the audience as well, if you'd like to check it out. And w- w- do you think social media affects how people determine what they're passionate about? Because like you, we spoke about passion earlier. Do you think that, um, especially when it relates to your research about dig- digital quality uh, that you spoke about in interviews and so forth, and you spoke about um, following certain people can actually affect how you think it influences how you think. So if you can expand how social media affects how people determine what they Hmm. Um.
1: I guess I'll answer it in a more general way that um, social media, depending on the platform, uh, it can be a valuable source of information, but uh, realizing that sometimes, I mean, depending on what you look at Instagram or all of these things, a lot of times it is more Fiction than facts at this point. They are production, and then when you would treat it that way, rather than "Wow, this must be what life is really like," so you kind of I encourage everyone to kind of exercise um, some amount of skepticism um, in terms of healthy skepticism in terms of what they see online. Um, the best example I saw I was looking up uh, Cambridge University on TikTok just because I was curious to see what comes up. One of the most popular things right now is a is a day in the life student video of what it's like um, uh, to be a student at Cambridge, most people don't realize that satire and see like, he's actually just joking about what it's like. It's like, I read 400 pages in the morning. I go rowing before all before breakfast. Um, I I take this path so that I can avoid the poor students and all of these things. And I was like, it's kind of funny, but I could imagine people being like, you know, it's like, Oh wait, he wasn't serious. Um, so there's a lot of stuff like that, um, that we kind of need to, you know, sort of, suspend or be able to like, you know, kind of have a sense of disbelief um, to be like, is this accurate? Is this really what I'm looking at? And I bring this up because the people we follow on social media um, have crafted a certain personality. Um, One of the questions that I ask is like, are we what we post? And I feel like in some ways the answer is yes. That what we um, tend to show on social media to the rest of the world is part of our personality but it's almost never the whole story. Um, I don't post when I'm just sitting at my computer for hours on end doing this and typing. Um, I post highlights of you know interviews or talks I give or all of these things, but we never post the hard stuff. And it's sort of like, wow, PhD looks great. Being at Cambridge looks great. And I was like, well, I don't post the, the, the 23 hours of the day where it's um, very little and it's just hard work and all of these things, so keep that in mind too, is that social media gives you a glimpse, either intentional or not, of what people want you to see, but it can't just be social media. Um, We all fall into filter bubbles, which is the idea that we tend to see more stuff that we like and people that we agree with. Um, It's important to get out of those sometimes, being off of different platforms, um, intentionally looking for things that maybe we won't um, agree with, That's easier said than done for any of us because we fall into the habits. We like what we like, and social media wants to show us more of what we like. That is a general rule of principle across any, across the internet in general, Google searches, everything. So it's up to us to kind of find ways of looking for more objective information, finding ways of, um, if you're applying to, you know, let's say you're applying to Oxford or Cambridge or something, looking those up, but also making sure to read the articles that say, um, here's why I left, uh, you know, Oxford. Um, I went to one of these schools and it made me miserable and depressed. Read those too. Don't run away from those because you want to hear the stuff that you don't want to hear sometimes. Um, so yeah, social media can inform your understanding of a profession or a place you want to be, but, um, it is sort of up to us to use good critical, um, information seeking skills to kind of like look for the things that, um, we may not necessarily want to see and hear. Um, that applies to all of us too, but it's tricky.
0: Yeah, uh, and and that actually um, you you spoke about like um, social media. So let's just take Instagram for example. That would be my example here. That they show you what you you like. Um, so every time you click that heart heart or that like button on Instagram, um, it keeps on like showing you things that are similar and. You keep you fall into an infinity loop. Something that I um, that I learned through the the social dilemma um, mm-hmm. on Netflix. Something I'd recommend everybody watch, and I'm sure um, you also would recommend. Social dilemma is a brilliant uh, documentary. But if you can actually tell tell us, like. Do these companies like Meta, also formerly known as Facebook, uh, and Twitter know that they're doing this? Do they do it an intention? Um, what do you think? That, why, why aren't they trying to... Isn't there something that these companies can put on the app that actually restricts, like, after a certain while, they're like, okay, let's stop the user from doing this. They're falling into a trap. Is it their intention?
1: Let me answer first by sharing um, the social dilemma link that I think I talked about before, but we did have the director of that documentary, Jeff Orlowski, um, come to Cambridge and give a chat. It's really good. Uh, make sure that goes in the notes too, because he expands on some of these things that we're talking about. It was just a really good discussion. Um, so we hosted him at Jesus College in Cambridge. Um, it, depends, it depends on how you define intentionality in this case, in terms of um, it's not quite as simple, as tempting as it is to say, like, Mark Zuckerberg is doing this and making you think the way you do. Um, I'm not saying that's entirely false, but I'm also saying that um, whose intentions? Um, Facebook meta is a big place. Um uh, do we say that the algorithm is um, trying to trick us? It was like, no, an algorithm is only as good as the people that program it and do these things. Um, what I will say is that we vote with our clicks. We vote with the things that we tap on. Instagram is such a good example. It's very easy to kind of um, do a little self experiment when you're sort of just um, free browsing on Instagram, looking up random things. Um, the more you start clicking on um dog pictures, um, the more dog pictures you're probably going to see, and the more accounts you're going to get suggested to follow, um, that's us. That's our intention, telling the algorithm, I like this, show me more of that. And then the Instagram algorithm says, yes, I will show you more of this. That applies to social media, that applies to YouTube, same concept in terms of like, I'm watching this. Um, show me more things like that, and that's where you get down the uh, like you talk about falling into the um, the rabbit hole of all of these different things. In terms of like, how did I end up here? What am I looking at now? Um, there are there are aspects of that, but realizing um, realizing that I want to make sure that we give ourselves credit and also responsibility to that these tools are what they are. Um, A lot of us need to understand some of these concepts a little better in terms of like you know we're served more of what we think to like um realizing that but i don't feel like it's as simple to say as like oh these companies are bad and they're tricking us i was like well um they're not forcing forcing us they're making options look as attractive as they can but ultimately we're still the ones clicking on this and consuming this content and that is up to us that's up to us and to researchers to explain these things mechanisms like we're just talking about right now um for anyone listening or what you know if you're after going to do and talk to your parents or grandparents and say like oh so i learned about um this this is how um Uh, Meta and Facebook and all of these things work and show us things. Um, There's a lot to be said about that. And it is becoming more of a thing of awareness now, which is great. Thanks to social dilemma and other things to say, um, you know, like, hey, this is how this is sort of subtly controlling our behavior and all of these things. Our behavior might be controlled, but we're still ultimately responsible for our behavior. And we can control that if we have enough, if we're willing to put in the time to understand these things, find out what experts know, and kind of keeping on top of things. What we're saying now might not apply as much two, three years from now, but being aware of what they are now is a little bit up to us, a little bit of self-learning, I think.
0: Okay. So so basically, um, it's a it's a two-way road, so it's not only that the companies, like you said, they're not forcing you. So we also need to start taking responsibility. Yes, uh, we're falling into these infinity loops. But my my next my next sort of like questioning, like would be: How does an indiv- individual like know when enough is enough? Uh, what sort of mind frame like influence themselves to like say, okay, let's let's get out of this loop, we in this rabbit hole. Let's dig our way out. Like maybe stop, put it aside.
1: Um. That is, that's a tricky question because it's so dependent on other people. Everyone's tolerance of uh, what they're going to feel about this is going to vary. Um, here's one suggestion I have, if, you, if anyone feels like doing a little bit of experimenting and data collection, is that um, just keep a little piece of paper, a pencil and a piece of paper nearby for like, if you can a week, if you can for a couple of days, but just uh, note how you feel after, before and after using a thing. So like, I don't know, tape the thing, tape the paper to your device or whatever so that you've got it handy, open your thing, and then do whatever you normally do. And just on, on a scale of 1 to 5, 1 to 10 or something, is like, how do I feel right now afterwards? Um, just to see, just to do your own data collection sort of things. In some cases, um, I mean, I'll draw on my personal experience a little bit, is um, sometimes good. Um, if I posted a picture that gets a lot of likes or funny comments and I was like, oh, look how clever I am. Um, like, you know, I feel pretty good after this. Um, if I post something and then it gets no comments and I was like, oh, what's wrong with everyone? Did I do something wrong? And all of these things that makes me feel a little bit worse. Maybe that's a three out of 10. Um, kind of just check and see. I would say like keep a little score of yourself, uh, like your moods and things. So everyone's going to be a little bit different. But even just sort of seeing how you feel about that and being fairly honest with it, because no one's going to see it. Um, let's see in your example, if it's kind of like you apply to X number of schools and on Instagram, you see all the happy people getting their acceptance letters to these sort of things. And it's like, well, you know, gosh, I didn't get into, you know, X, Y uh, schools. That actually makes me kind of feel bad. Um, so I am going to put that as a two out of 10. But you see something that makes you feel good. Um, it's like, ooh, I want to learn about this thing. Nine out of 10. So. There's going to be some variation, probably a lot of 5 out of 10s. Eh, not sure how this makes me feel. Either way, don't really care. Um, That'll give you some sense of what's working for you and what's not working for you. Um, The one thing I will say, um, because I feel like this is pretty uh, known now, is be careful about the bedtime, screen time stuff, the nighttime falling asleep thing. When I talked about opportunity costs a little while ago, we do know that Blue light, the blue and white light that comes from screens, LCD screens, um, makes it harder for us to fall asleep, and it does impoverish the quality of our sleep. So even when we do sleep, we don't sleep and feel as well rested. Um, A lot of people have had this experience uh, any age in terms of like, huh, I got a full night's sleep, but why do I feel so bad? Oh, right. I fell asleep reading news or doing these sort of things or browsing Instagram and all of that. Those two things are definitely related. Um, the screen time at nighttime, you really got to watch out for. And I do mean for, unfortunately, at my age, my brain is no longer still growing and developing. That's just science. Your brain at your age is still kind of in that crucial, uh, you need more sleep. You physically need more sleep than I do. Your brain needs it in order to keep growing and developing. Um, shortchanging your nighttime, uh, you know, your sleep rituals. Switch to a book, switch to a Kindle if you can um that's a big one um chances are when you're sort of doom scrolling or infinite scrolling on the platforms late at night it's like oh I should have gone to sleep at like 11 whoops it's one at 1 a.m and these sort of things um that's a big one that is like a red flag one so um I'm answering a different part of your question here in terms of um you know how do we know when enough is enough um the less screen time at bedtime the better for sure um that's a big one that i hope most people your age prefer possibly even a little bit younger if they're listening to this um that's a fairly clear takeaway at this point that if there's one way to pare down screen time use the tools like apple focus mode um freedom the tool that i use um, give yourself more limits for bedtime um yeah, that I can't recommend enough.
0: Falling into infinity scroll, um, infinity uh, infinity loops uh, or scrolls, depending on what you take. Um, uh, I, I think that brings up into digital quality, uh, and that I just want you to explain because you you've mentioned in interviews before what is the relationship between digital quantity versus digital quality of screen time?
1: It's a relationship of diminishing returns when it comes to quantity. Um, I think, because remember, when we talk about infinite scroll, um, the idea is just basically keep you on those platforms as long as possible. Um, Everyone's going to have their threshold at which they're no longer meaningfully engaging with content where it is just sort of you zone out a little bit. It's like, oh. I don't know what I'm looking for at this point, but I'm going to keep scrolling, looking for novelty or something that catches my attention. Um, that's a that's a time. And it's hard to notice because we're doing it mind mindlessly um, where we all kind of zone out. And it's like, oh, why am I still doing this? Uh, it's been a half an hour. Um, that is something we have to watch out for. Quality. Again, everyone's mileage is going to vary for what that means. Um, quality is the kind of more. To me, this is my personal answer to that question. Is more of a human-centered interaction that um, you and I are having a quality interaction right now, where we're talking and getting to chat in depth, um, not distracted. I haven't checked my phone because my phone isn't nearby while we're chatting or getting distracted by these sort of things. Um, quality are the sort of thing where you learn something or you feel mm-hmm. um, you feel. Better afterwards for having the interaction, or inspired to do something or take some sort of action. Um, quality depends. Quality can be mixed even within an interaction. Let's say you're sitting in a you know an online class, like you're you're listening to a lecture. Some of which you zone out because it's not very relevant. Some parts you're really into that it sparks your imagination. Is like, wow, I need to go read that book or read that thing. So quality varies um, even in, in within individual interactions, but. Um, We should emphasize quality interactions over quantity of interactions with anonymous people, um, Instagram stuff that may or may not be like even accurate or true. Um, That is an individual question for everyone else to decide. There's no magic number that says aim for this percentage of high quality interactions. Um, Like I said before, that's opportunity costs. In terms of like an hour on Instagram or TikTok, um, where I'm just passively consuming something or an hour of interaction where I'm learning and I get to, um, ask questions and, you know, kind of builds up my, my reservoir of things, or I feel curious or inspired to do something that's more quality to me. That's how I define it. Anyways, speaking about
0: finding quality, like, um, what sort of like, should I say mind frame, if that's the correct term for this, what? how can one find quality content?
1: The easiest answer I can give for that is kind of find your your social media or information role models. Like look for the people that, rather than just random things that are served to us or people that follow us and we feel like we want to follow back, um, find the people that you find genuinely interesting. Um, that happened to me this week. There was a New York Times columnist and I was like, ooh, I really like the articles that she's written. I would like to, I'm, I'm voting with my click to follow her and then I want to see more of her content because I find it interesting. Um, looking for those people and again, looking for a variety of things too, like looking across different areas. will Um, increase the diversity of information sources that you get. So even though I do a lot of academic stuff, I don't just follow academic information sources because I want to learn about tech. I want to learn about psychology. I want to learn about food people that I like and I can get recipes from. So that's a little bit of me shaping my sources of information. Um, Not foolproof because the algorithms are going to show you what they're going to show you, but it increases the chances that you'll find something that is really interesting to you so that takes a little bit of time and digging um i forget how you even found my um social media stuff for got in touch in the first place but i think you'd seen one of the uh, talks that i've given and then that's sort of how it happens you kind of like follow the the information role models and then some of the things that i've mentioned too and it's like ah you know the freedom blog actually looks pretty good i think i will follow them because i like this stuff that they're saying about productivity and all of that. And I was like, oh, who's this person that they mentioned in this article? That's sort of um, the best, that's how I do it. And that's how I've been doing it for years. So that's the best recommendation I can think of. Find your trusted sources and then find out who they trust and then go backwards from there to get the information you want.
0: Yeah, uh, and I I think like in an interview, you spoke, um, known as uh, named well-being in the workplace organization on strategies for the post pandemic pandemic world I'll also leave that in the show notes if you'd like to check that out um, you said that the use of distractions to be more productive and the model you mentioned called virtual carrot and stick model um, when we're finding quality content and so forth you, you say using distractions you can actually be more productive uh, how do you actually use can you explain what is meant by the virtual carrot and stick model and how do you you how do you personally incorporate in your life?
1: Yeah, Um, I would say I use it and it takes this is where tools like Freedom and um, Apple screen time and focus mode come in handy, I think. But think about the things that you would normally do. Let's say. An example for me is um, coming from the United States, I really like checking baseball scores, which are middle of the night for me here so in the morning left to my own devices i would love to check the scores and see like oh what happened with this, this outcome or this something um, during a work day i'm not going to do that until i've done my 15 minutes of writing or reading or researching or doing the things that i have to do so that's my virtual carrot as one example in terms of like i really want to check the baseball scores but I'm gonna get the other thing. It's motivation for the stuff that I really don't want to do. And it's like, ugh, um, I don't want to read this academic article or read some of these things. I'd much rather be doing that. Or um, I play Mario Kart. So that's my my favorite distraction on the iOS. And I was like, I really like playing Mario Kart, so I can get the uh, daily challenges and all these things. I'm not gonna check uh, Mario Kart until I've done X, Y, or responded to these time-sensitive work emails or done some task first. So that's my, those are my virtual carrots. We all have those things, whatever they are. If it's the things that we habitually do, if we had no other obligations for the day, what are the things that you would do on your own? And use that to your advantage because you're motivated to want to do those things. I like doing these things because they're fun. Um, but if you can place a task ahead of it, you'll be motivated. You'll be surprised in terms of like, oh, got to write 500 words for this thing, Um, 500 words, 400 words until Mario Kart or something. Um, It tends to be a good motivation. Um, It takes self-control, but you can also use that with things like freedom, things like apps that will limit your time to be like, ah, don't check Mario Kart first thing in the morning. Um, I'm going to give myself a half an hour to wake up, eat breakfast, work on my things. And then by the time I'm done, then I can do the Mario Kart. Then I can do the sports um, sort of things. There are different ways to adapt the carrot model, too, if you think about it. If you have like a big task to do, let's say you've got a um, for college students. If you have like a 2000 word essay to do, give yourself points in terms of like, all right, every 200, 200 words you write, that's one point for 10 minutes on Twitter or something like that. I I would probably do something like that and be like, all right, sister first draft, got to get this all done now Um, and be like, all right, so I, I earned my 10 points. So now I can do Twitter for however what I want to do. So um, I think carrot sick model is really good. Um, it takes a little while to get used to that habit, but it's worth sticking with.
0: Yeah, and and this is in the book, the now habit. Um, uh, you you also spoke that about that in the interview, which was, I think I'm taking a lot from the I took a lot from that interview, and I think I want to clarify some points. You also mentioned whereby you unschedule. Uh, where you take you schedule your rest which is really amazing mm-hmm. uh especially when you think about in today's world of mental health and so forth um it's actually important to have rest like i you often look at these um inspirational models Elon musk uh, jeff bezos and you it, you think like okay they're working like maybe 13 hour days and so forth but at the same time like are, like how much rest are they taking like do they have a life and so forth and when we look at those people, we often like tend to like, okay, I will also want to work a 13 hour day. And I've actually wanted to do that. Like, okay, let me work like how those guys work. And I th- often fall into this, fall into this thing where like I'm res- resorting, like once I'm done, like I'm so finished that I resort to like being lazy. I lay on my bed or, I, or just like sit back and I'm like, okay, I'm not even in the mood to do it. So I, I think like, how do you go about doing the unscheduling uh, of, Oh, uh, how do you schedule your rest and unschedule yourself? Basically,
1: first of all, let me bring up the the Musk and Bezos thing to say like, are they working thirteen hour days? How do we know? That's have important. we ever seen a video of them like during a typical work day? What counts as work for them? Is twi- uh, is, is scanning Twitter and reading articles about themselves work? Hmm? I don't know. We don't know <laughs> the answer to that question. So it's not like. I seriously doubt, I mean, everyone's going to be different and they're at a different lifestyle than us. Maybe they do occasionally have 13-hour days where it's meetings and all of these things, but you got to at least ask yourself that question. Similar to what I said about how everyone curates a certain self on social media, it would be naive of us to think that, oh gosh, the self-made billionaires are just working so much harder than us. Um, Definitely. I don't know about that. So like give ourselves a little bit of a break in terms of what we hear and compare to other people. It may or may not be true, but we at least have to consider that. Um, The other question about scheduling and breaks is absolutely true. Um, There's this kind of cult of productivity and busyness now, especially busyness. And I define busyness as the sense that telling other people of how busy we are, is like, oh, I'm so busy. I've got five minutes to eat lunch. um, Then I have to get back to the next thing. And it's like, it's sort of, um, U S culture, for sure. Silicon Valley culture, for sure. And it's like, Oh, I don't have time for this. Uh, I'm really busy working and all of that. Um, a lot of times, uh, that busyness tends, translates into, uh, and I was like, well, you're answering emails, but you've got like five social media things open at the same time. It's like, is that really that busy? Um, take, take people's busyness, with, busyness with a little grain of salt. Try not to fall in that own trap yourself. Um, I certainly have seen fellow PhD students and be like, oh, I work 12 hours a day, eight to eight. So we'd have to like schedule hangout time, um, after 8 PM. And I was like, really? Um, and then I see them online actively chatting on WhatsApp and all of these things. And I was like, so this is not work just so we're clear. Like you might be busy doing something, but please don't call this work. Um, building in that time what the, the, issue I have with that is that a, it stresses other people out. B who are you kidding in terms of like, if this is what you consider work and then see, it's not healthy that way. Um, it's sort of better to have scheduled time to be like, all right, um, I'm not very productive from one to 2 PM. Lunchtime makes me sleepy or something like that. That is my time to kind of like refresh a little bit. Um, schedule in my walk time, my Mario Kart time. Um, I have a Nintendo switch. So I have animal crossing. That's, that's a very like kind of positive, mindless, gentle way of me, um, not engaging on the internet for a little bit of time. It was like, I've earned my animal crossing time. So no one else bothered me during this amount of time. I'm going to feel okay with it. And it's like, oh, should I be doing something else? It's was like, no, this is my meeting time right now to do something from 5 to 6 p.m. or to unwind a little bit at the end of the day um, to do some of these things. Um, when it's structured like that and you build in time to kind of do these things, A, it's important for us Um Anyone that works all the time or tries to work all the time, you're going to burn yourself out at some point, no matter what age you are, no matter what work you've got to do. So you have to build in that leisure time. It's good for your brain and it's good for your mental health to find things that you legitimately enjoy, no matter what it is. If it's just looking at TikTok or Instagram videos, if that makes you happy and that helps you kind of switch gears from thing, then go nuts But build it in terms of like, you know, This is break time for me. And I'm choosing to do this rather than doing something else.
0: How how do you actually like spend your rest time? Like you spoke about playing Mario Switch, which is something you um, uh, Mario and Animal Crossing on your Nintendo Switch and uh, walking and so forth. What other ways do you spend your, uh, your rest, your unscheduled time, should I say?
1: Cooking time is good for me. Um, I really enjoy finding new recipes and teaching myself all kinds of different food, especially during the pandemic when none of us could travel. It's like, well, can't go to these places, but I can learn learn French cooking or I can learn new Italian dishes or Indian food or Vietnamese food and all of these things. So that was kind of fun for me. Um, for me, working out as part of mental health, um, even at my age, like I still try to um, run and stay active, um, uh, which is kind of... To me, exercise—it like sure, you know. There's the part about like it's good to be fit in all of these things. There's enormous benefits for being active mentally. Uh, We know that as a fact now from the pandemic that we all tend to sit more. We tend to be more sedentary. We really need to get out and move around, even if it's just something. So I have my Fitbit watch, which I use to basically say like, all right, so I want to try to walk around this amount of time, and it gives me little nudges to like say like, hey, you've been sitting a lot this hour. Why not get up for a little bit? Um, We should all be moving probably a little bit more than we are since we are in front of screens and all this time. We don't have commutes anymore where we used to bike to school, bike to work, uh, walk to work and all of these things. So there's parts of our daily schedule that are missing now. Whatever that ends up being. Audiobooks. I really like audiobooks. I'm a little bit weird, so I really like Charles Dickens' audiobooks. To me, that's fun. Um, I read those in school because I was assigned to them. But I just really like Charles Dickens. I like the, the funny British characters and all of the like densely populated people and all of these things. Um, it's wordy, but it's also like, oh, if I get distracted for a second, I like, I don't care. He's still talking about the same scenery or something for these past two pages. Um, that works for me. So Some people like podcasts. Some people like audiobooks um everyone's gonna be a little bit different those are some of the things i do for fun it's the stuff that you would do if you had a, a day off entirely as in like no work what do you what would you do to kind of like entertain yourself or occupy yourself that might be watching shows it might be doing any of these things but that's kind of what goes on the unscheduled that counts as your fun and downtime
0: no it is brilliant and i can i so you're not alone with all, um charles dickinson uh dickens mm-hmm. um Books, I myself am a big Oliver Twist fan, even though the ending is not the best. Uh, I, I, just ah, the spoiler
1: alert. I haven't, nah, I read Oliver Twist. Yeah. What,
0: what would be some of your book recommendations for people who are like into um, f- learning more about social media, digital habits, and digital distractions? What, what would you recommend?
1: Uh, there's a few. Let's see. Um, I like Cal Newport. So Cal Newport's deep work. Uh, you talked about deep focus sort of thing. Cal Newport's deep work book, which came out a few years ago, is really good. Um, I learned a lot from that talking about. Um, so the example I give of people blocking out 12 hours for work, like, no, 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 that's not. Uh, that's the opposite of what Cal Newport is saying is like deep work is hard and it should make you exhausted. And I was like, that's work. None of this whole like anything else going on or multitasking is like, I'm going to work and study on this or like read this difficult thing or write this difficult thing for blocks of 20, 30 minutes. Um, Deep work should be tiring as in like you can only you cannot deep work for 12 hours a day, um, Elon Musk or otherwise, um, because you would just you know, that's not what we're supposed to do. Deep work is sort of like, oh, my gosh. I'm really tired. It's how I feel after taking a test or something like that, where your brain is just focused on that one thing. I think that's a good book. Um, you probably most people probably need steps in order to build up to deep work thing, but that is a great book. He has another one now, which um, I'm about halfway through, called "World Without Email." Um, that was called, yeah. Um, that's more for people probably later on in their careers in terms of, uh, you know, it's like, oh, do we need to be on email as much as we do? Um, Some interesting tips in there. Uh, What else would I say? Um, The now habit, which we already talked about a little bit, isn't explicitly about social media, but it's about procrastination and time management and these sort of things. Um, It absolutely applies to some of the things we've been talking about in terms of personal productivity, um, building in time for fun, building in time for work. Uh, Those are the main ones that I can think about right now. Um, Social media stuff. I did mention Nicholas Carr's The Shallows, what the Internet is doing to our brains. It's fascinating because it gets into some of the history, too, is that all of this stuff, um, to me, the part I really enjoy is uh paperback novels were considered a form of distraction technology back in the time it's like oh no um these books have pictures in them they have like too many like you know short chapters and things this will ruin people's attention span uh that's fascinating to know that even 100 200 years ago people were asking similar questions and worried about the same things we're worried about now um it's good to understand some of these things it's good to understand a little bit of the science of distraction what our eyeballs do while we're jumping back and forth from screen to screen. Um, That's kind of what led me to where I am right now. I would say that's a really good book for um, understanding a little bit of the history of like internet in general, social media certainly, but internet habits in general. Um, Let's see what I got here. I'm sure there's a couple of good ones. Um, Some of my favorite books here that I would recommend. Um, Depends on the audience, right? I like this one too. So this is by Naomi Barron, Words on Screen, published by Oxford University Press, but it also talks specifically about reading habits and things. And you'll be interested because it'll be um, listeners your age um, and their habits in terms of what they prefer to do. I prefer to do studying in print. I prefer to do studying in online textbooks. Why do I prefer to do it? How focused did I feel or not focused? Do I feel like I learn better in paper? Or on digital screens and all of these things. So um, she does really interesting research on that. Um, it's a little heavier, but I think it's a really neat book.
0: And just to conclude our um, this really insightful podcast episode that that we got, I got a few rapid fire questions for you. Um, if you can answer them in one sentence, it would be. Uh, it's up to you. <laughs> just want to hear your. I'll try. No promises. No promises. I'll accept it. Um, So if you can tell me about the three most influential people in your life and how they've impacted you.
1: Um, I took philosophy when I was in high school, and um, I was lucky to do that. That kind of opened my eyes up into bigger questions about things, which carries over to this day. Um, I would say my mom, especially, in terms of work habits and working really hard and um, helping nurture the things that I really cared about. Um, can't think of a third one. Let's, let's go on to the next one. Okay.
0: Um, if you could go back to your 18-year-old self, one piece of advice, what would it be? School is
1: not everything. Um, life is more important than just school so it's not just about being a good student but being a good and well-rounded person that's what i would have told myself back then okay
0: if you could have uh if you could have coffee or a cup of tea with any historical figure who would you choose
1: hmm that's a fun question um any historical figure gosh off the top of my head i would probably say charles dickens like a quick one. He seems like he would be an interesting person. Um, A lot of the stuff that we're talking about with the different plots, I just, uh, I'm curious. I want to ask him questions about what he would think, especially now. If we're meeting now in 2022, I'd be curious and be like, what do you think about all of this? Like how, you know, what was this and how would this change your books? So let's go with that. Yeah. And
0: okay, this one here is a a personal uh, question, a failure. And if you can explain, the, if you're up to it, um, if you would be able to explain the failure, and what did that teach you?
1: Yeah. Um, I did not get into, um, I, after my master's degree at Oxford, I applied for the PhD, or they call it the DPhil there. I did not get in. And I'm glad that I didn't in retrospect, because I wasn't ready. Um, I thought I knew what I wanted to study and thought, um, I realized I was falling into a little bit of the, like, well, I did the master's, maybe I should just go ahead and do the PhD while I'm doing it. Um, I'm glad I didn't do it. It wouldn't have led to where I am now in terms of all the really interesting stuff that I love talking about in terms of social media, digital habits, and all of these things. I would have been, uh, an English PhD. I probably would have been studying. Mm-hmm. Virginia Woolf or, uh, you know, Shakespeare or one of these things, um, authors that I find really interesting, um, it would have been fine, but I wouldn't have been that happy, honestly. So sometimes things do happen for a reason. I really wanted it in that moment. And I was like, God damn it, Oxford not um, accepting me for this PhD. But uh, they actually did me a favor because I had time to really think and be like, what do I really care about? What do I actually want to do? So that's why people should apply to Cambridge, not Oxford.
0: Yes. No, that's brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. Um, What is the most important lesson you've learned over your career? Um,
1: That we shouldn't put ourselves in boxes. And what I mean by that is I've learned that many times and I've seen that kind of come up that, uh, oh, should I work at Google? I studied English literature and philosophy. What could they possibly use with someone like me? Um, Turns out they could um same sort of thing Uh, it's happened again and again in terms of like oh should i apply to this uh program in in cambridge or apply to this job i'm not really that kind of person but it's not that simple it's not that simple in terms of just because you've studied this doesn't mean you can't do this that or whatever so kind of remembering that we are more than the sum of what we study and more the sum of like I'm, i'm this kind of um student so i can only do this kind of things that's just not true like for anyone. So I feel like that's an important thing. Don't let other people put you in a box and don't put yourself in a box either.
0: Okay. And last, last question. What do you think the world would look like in five years time?
1: Probably pretty similar to how it looks now. Um, I don't know, five years is kind of that that funny amount of time, right? I I wouldn't be shocked if one of the big social media platforms that we use right now is no longer a thing or is is a tiny fraction of what it is. Um, I will make predictions on which one, even though I have my guesses, but I wouldn't be shocked if like things that are just part of our everyday fabric right now no longer exist. Um, that's just the nature of tech. Uh, we think these things will be around forever, but honestly, they won't be. Most of them won't be. um that's sort of like the 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 digital side of things um i would like to say that we'll be doing more things in person here's a personal theory of mine that it's just a guess that i wonder if all of a sudden we will get more bored with digital interactions and be like ah you know i'm really tired of video calls i'm really tired of all of this stuff i think i just don't want to do this anymore i I prefer more in-person things so i wonder if we'll be doing less screen and more face-to-face things that's a wild prediction but you never know
0: uh, and and just bringing about that like what do you think about the metaverse like this whole this whole concept of metaverse and so forth like uh, the, I, I saw that uh shock um uk's largest uh, sporting brand uh they mm-hmm. did a podcast in the metaverse which was like really amazing uh like Don't you see that as something as a potential in the next five years, like something
1: really big, augmented reality, virtual reality? Definitely possible. Um, I just don't know if five years is enough time for the tech to be good enough and affordable enough for all of us to jump on board, to be as immersive and as interesting as I think it is. We'll see, we'll see with metaverse. this is one of those things that I try not to buy into the hype so much Is in like, all right, it's a big experiment, very interesting experiment, taking a big swing at something and seeing if you can redefine online everything essentially. Um, we'll see. There, there's, there's still a long way to go. It ain't going to happen next year. It's probably not going to happen the year after that, but we'll see what happens with that. Um, it, you're right to bring that up because it is probably one of the most intriguing scenarios but my opinion is i feel like five years isn't enough time
0: thank you so much tyler for being on the expand mind podcast really appreciate your time and your honesty to our listeners out there thank you for listening links that were mentioned during the episode are in the show notes if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast please share it with others post about it on social media or leave a five-star rating on any podcasting app and perhaps a review as well. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at expandable underscore
1: mind. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.